You're listening to the Quince podcast. A dispute that began in 1949 and stretched right up to 2019 will hopefully get closure soon. The Supreme Court is set to deliver a verdict on the Ram Mandir Babri Masjid title dispute case before 17 November and calling the case complex would be an understatement. Will Ayodhya the small town in Uttar Pradesh that became synonymous with a 70 year long legal dispute finally get to see the end of the tunnel? Hello I'm your host Shorbari and you're listening to the second part of the Quince special Ayodhya explainer podcast. Irrespective of what the judgment turns out to be, it's sure to have an impact on the Indian people, the society and politics. And in this podcast, I'll deep dive into the history of this long-drawn litigation and also take a look at the arguments that have been made in the court from each of the parties that'll form the basis of this verdict. And before I get into it, I just want to quickly tell you to subscribe to our playlists on Apple, Google Podcast, Jio Seven, Spotify, and all the other popular podcast streaming platforms that we live on right now for other podcasts log on to the quin website and check out our podcast section and to break down the legal aspect of the ayodhya dispute i'm joined by a legal editor vagasha sachdev hi everyone so um, let me get straight into this this is a civil suit involving three parties over the ownership of 2.77 acres of land and i know that right in the beginning i said that the dispute is a 70 year long one that started um in 1949 uh the matter first came to court around 1885 and it was sant raghubar das i believe yeah yeah so uh the thing is to remember with this whole situ- with this whole case is that it is a very historical uh, religious it's a religiously complex issue here because In 185 in the 1850s you had a bunch of before the 18 the revolt of 1857 there were a bunch of these clashes between Hindus and Muslims over the Hanuman Gadi temple which is a nearby area right next to the Babri Masjid and those spilled over eventually even onto the Babri Masjid itself and there's this whole claim over oh the the, the Muslims are saying the Hanuman Gadi temple was built over a mosque the Hindus started saying you know what your Babri Masjid was built over a temple and there was this whole conflict around 1857 then the Hindus uh, a sect called the Nirmoyi Akhada uh started you know so they they were offering worship at a particular site in the complex on the babri masjid there's the there used to be the main area there's three domes and then there's a whole courtyard and all of that around it and a graveyard now this is what the whole complex is supposed to have now the uh hindu parties said you know what we need to start worshiping ram in in this complex area and they set up a raised platform called a chabutra and this ram chabutra was where they started offering worship and where they originally claimed the god ram was built and interesting to note that at that time they never said it was inside the mosque this ram chabutra was outside the mosque so that's where this that's where the first suit then uh, comes out because the waqf board and the sunni and uh, the, the, the sunni waqf board which is the representative of the muslim groups and representative of the mosque they are like uh, they they're asserting their ownership over it whereas the hindus start trying to say you know what we also want to have rights over this because the hindu parties suddenly go and file a, a case saying you know what uh, we've been offering prayers at this site for some time now and we think we should have a right to pray here and you know what to ensure that we get our right to pray here uh, we also want a declaration of title over at least part of it now as i said at that time their focus was not the mosque itself like i mean the title suit 
claimed the whole sort of almost that whole land, but their focus was this area called the Ram Chabutra outside, which in fact the British at one point built a wall to separate the Chabutra from the mosque because that's where the Hindus were praying, and the mosque was where the Muslims were praying. Now that's the, this is important to keep in mind because in 1886 the court, the local courts there actually held that this land did not there could be no title for the Hindu parties and that it was actually with the Muslim parties and it should stay like that. So that's where again all of this comes out and because all of these arguments come into play later in the main case itself. So from there to um, 1949 is uh, a period when basically the Muslims have fa- keep finding themselves having less and less of an opportunity to actually access the site. Uh, in 1934, there's a whole lot of damage done to the mosque and pretty much from then on, it's almost impossible for them to even pray at all there. And they say that they were trying to, but like pretty much they weren't. And in fact, the Nirmoya Khar actually even agrees that they weren't and that's one of their legal arguments that, you know, the Muslims weren't there. So, and then of course we come to 49, which is when the okay. massive famous incident happened, which Shabri obviously covered in her podcast earlier. Right. So in 1949, uh, there's a rumor that goes that at around 3 a.m. with a flash of lightning, the idol of Lord Ram suddenly appeared inside the mosque. And so from that period onwards, the mosque is shut. And again, in 1949, the claim over the ownership comes back in court. Because, yeah, so there, the, the local administration says there is a dispute here. Uh, there needs to be, there's, who owns this land? There's a, there's a, we're not sure. And they impose uh, stuff under the CRPC, under Section 145 of the CRPC, uh, the Code of Criminal Procedure. And they say, look, we need to now have a whole procedure to uh, determine who's the actual owner of this site. And then they appoint what's called a court-appointed receiver, sort of a, a administration person is going to then administer the property. So the Waqf Board doesn't keep the keys, the Nirmo Yakara doesn't keep the keys to the place, it's the... Uh, a receiver and the receiver locks the gates there is sort of a darshan still allowed like through a side gate they can kind of see the idols and the, for the and Hindu the party and there's a priest allowed to kind of uh, sort of attend to that whereas the Muslim party is interesting and not allowed to actually enter that's but that's nice. so that's what happens in 1949 and this is then the and it's at this moment that the modern case Properly, properly starts. So, I mean, uh, important to remember, there are three key parties to the litigation from the Supreme Court. Uh, there's the Nirmoya Khara, the Sunni Waqf Board, who are the sort of original protagonists in this play. And then the third one is obviously the very special one, which is the God Ram himself. And we'll come to that uh, in a bit. But the original protagonists, as we said, going back into the old case and everything are the Nirmoya Khara and the Sunni Waqf Board. And the Sunni Waqf Board are not, in fact, the ones who actually move first on this. It's the Nirmoya Khara who in 1959 filed their title suit. Now, there had already been a suit filed in 1950 by a Hindu Mahasabha group, but they were pretty much just asking for worship rights, the right to be able to go to the site and worship. They weren't really saying, declare that this thing belongs to us. So 1959 is a watershed moment because the Nirmoya Khara goes and says, you know what, this we want a declaration from the court that this area belongs to us and we want them to you know, dismiss the receiver, the court appointed receiver and, and you know allow us to just go and access the site because we want to be able to go there and pray and again so it's, they're taking up a very long line of argument that all the Hindus say we want to be able to pray here but they're adding to it now by saying you know what give us the title to the land again and they're going back to what they tried in 1885 and they're trying it again now the difference between the two situations is that they are now saying they look from 1934 onwards we've had pretty much possession of this and the Muslim parties have not and there is a concept called adverse possession under uh, Indian law and I mean common law in the UK and all as well. Whereas that basically like if I have continuous uninterrupted possession of a particular patch of land and there's some basic reasoning for it, uh, and the other side hasn't been able to file a you know proper con- you know thing to contest that, then I get I can ask for a declaration that I now own the place. And so why did it take the Sunni Waqf Board 
uh, as late as 1961 to actually uh, exactly ownership. so because the thing is 59 is when the Nirmoya Khara do it in 60 and it's two years after that the Sunni Waqf Four finally wake up and are like you know let's let's also file a title claim now I mean uh, sort of the arguments both of them raise in this kind of tells you why though so the Nirmoya Khara's whole thing is we've had possession since 1934 at least so give us this land uh, under this 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 concept they also try to make a claim and they make this argument that look the there was never really a valid mosque out there they say that the Babri Masjid was built by destroying an existing temple and according to Islamic tenets that is illegal that's un-Islamic a mosque cannot be built after destroying a, uh, a temple and they say there are certain un-Islamic features including some inscriptions and things inside the mosque so it's not really a valid mosque so the Sunni Waqf Fort should not have any ability to claim any rights over it and in the meanwhile we've now gone and taken possession so recognize our right the Sunni Waqf Fort argument when they come in is there and the reason one of the reasons why perhaps they were, could maybe say complacent and they didn't come in earlier was that they're like look there is an 1885 judgment it's all 1886 judgment it's already said what is going to happen here so why are you so you know this whole stuff doesn't make any sense there's no cause for any of this to be brought up all over again because in fact legally you have this concept called res judicata which says once the courts have decided everything and all the appeals are over that's it you don't have to relitigate the thing over and over again so they're like that's it why are we having to get into this whole question all over again in the meanwhile also by the way we've had possession of the site as well uh you've unlawfully kept us from accessing the site since 34. You can't claim that as grounds for saying you should now be given ownership. So the workport kind of, I think it was like they didn't think this was going to get this far at that point. I think they thought that their rights would perhaps be easily accepted. Their claim would be easily accepted. And that's why they filed in 61. And then there's a lull that continues up to 1986, irrespective of the fact that um, so many things have actually happened in, before that, like the appearance of rum, because the status quo is maintained and nobody is going in exactly. or going out. Exactly, because the court says, look, maintain status quo. Nobody goes in, nobody goes out. The place is locked up. Uh, the Ram idols are still left in there. They've not been removed, even though initially Jawaharlal Nehru actually wanted them removed because back in '49, uh, but they weren't removed because the local administrator thought it would lead to like communal riots and stuff. So that's all still. So it's all being kind of just put into cold storage for a very long time until 1986 when the locks are opened yes and then some random lawyer goes <laughs> Hindu lawyer goes and, and he goes and he's like I want to uh, be able to allow to worship there so open the locks and the district judges is like yeah you know actually go ahead why, why, why are we, we're, we're in, we, this would otherwise be an interruption of your right to prayer and, and he actually Chris, cites divine inspiration as the logic I mean yeah and this is sort of this is to become very, very important going forward because it changes the whole case. This whole thing of starting to bring the divine and bring all of that in, as we know, by 18, by 1989. So then, okay, the locks are opened. And one other thing that happens is that Ram Lalla, the deity, which is infant Ram, also becomes a part of the litigation in 1989. How do we even come to that? So that's that's the... That's a culmination of the things which have been happening in the meanwhile. So while 61 to 86, nothing's happening in the courts, there's obviously a lot more happening. So again, if you head over to Shawbury's podcast, you will be hearing everything which is happening politically there and the rise of the Ram Janmabhoomi movement. And that's the key here to this because they are trying to, there's this whole now broader movement by the VHP, by these bigger Hindu organizations 
which is becoming political. And they now want to be able to bring this dispute to the fore in that sense. They don't want it to just be a little technical legal dispute between the Sunni Waqf Board and the Nirmo Yakhara. So now a retired Allahabad High Court judge who's basically connected to the VHP, Diyuki Nandanagarwal, he says, you know what, I am coming to the court now as the next best friend of the God Ram. And the God himself needs to have a say here because uh, we believe he was born here, we believe in him and he therefore has this right to be involved in this case because it's his land. Now, this can sound a little bit bonkers, I think, to you know, if you're not if you're not aware of how this works legally, but yes, in Indian law, it is possible. It is possible for a god to have legal personhood and end up being party to cases. Um, now, traditionally, this is because you have these long-standing old temples and they have these idols that have been there for hundreds of years. So they are recognized to have because the temple has been running for hundreds of years and been maintaining resources, mean maintaining land. So you can't just say, oh, all that doesn't exist anymore, right? So in those circumstances, you still have a thing that the temple and the god can be recognized and... Um, uh, that allows them to have legal personhood, and they, you, they, because essentially they can't come there. They, you treat them the same way you treat a minor, and so you have a guardian or an ex-best friend who comes to court and makes the arguments for them and does everything. So that's what the Okinawan does in 1989, and he gets the court to actually kind of take this case on board. And it sounds a bit crazy, as I said to us, but he's able to make it happen. And it's what what's very interesting. It's not just. Ram Lala, it's also the Ram Janmabhumi who comes now as a party to the dispute. Which is the land. Which is the land itself. And there's a there's an interesting reason why this happens. Because essentially, as I said, when you look at the way this works for other deities also, you have an idol which has been there in the and that is supposed to be where the god vests himself, right? Now here they have idols, but the idols have only come in nineteen forty nine. So what about what happens before? Because their old claim is that this place is you know, been divine for centuries since antiquity, since time immemorial when Hindus have believed that it's the birthplace of Ram and they've come and worshipped there. So now they have to say, you know what, and it's not just Ram Lalla's idol, it's also the land which has been, you know, a deity. Because it's been Ram's birthplace for all this time, it is a deity in itself. There's been temples there before, to Vishnu, to Ram, because Ram is anyway an avatar of Vishnu as well. So, you know, all of this imbues this place with this sort of sacred kind of importance and because of that belief which all the Hindus have about its sacred importance it has to have a right to be there and you know what since that's there nobody else can own this land only the god Ram and the Janmabhumi itself can own it and nobody else has powers over it so that's very important because this is now where the VHP is able to get itself into the litigation which it couldn't do till now and I know Vakash has already mentioned it, but I'd also like to say that we have a more detailed throwback of the history of the dispute and the political developments that took shape in the 80s that ultimately led to the demolition of the Babri Masjid. So you can check out the first part of the podcast as well and you'll find the link on our show notes. And now coming back to the dispute, the decades between 1989 to 2010 was actually really action-packed. Uh, firstly, in 1989, the Allahabad High Court clubbed all the different cases together was that I mean, did that turn out to be a bad thing i mean the, the, well the thing is because the, traditionally you were just going to have a very straight legal dispute between the the nirmo yakara and the sunni Wakfu. but by clubbing now all of these together with the ram lalla petition and ram janmabhumi petition the whole nature of the case changes and it becomes a lot more about faith because the nirmo yakara had also been making that argument but they also had their adverse possession claim which was something which they were kind of which would have likely been the focus but because now you've got lord ram also there now the whole focus on what was there before was the mosque built on a temple where did the what was being done with this land earlier all of that now comes even more to the fore so that's a big turning point with what happens so and then in 1992 
December 6th, the Babri Masjid is demolished by car sevaks. And then from 1992 to 93, the next year, we see a lot of violence triggered by the demolition. There was the Bombay riots and then there was the 1993 blasts in Mumbai. And there were also smaller riots in other cities in India. And around by the end, around 2,000 people had died across India. So these events, did they also have any effect on the case ultimately? Well, I mean... Um Strictly speaking, obviously, the criminal cases relating to the demolition and the riots are, are separate. They're not connected. But the way when the Babri Masjid demolition happened, that made two big changes. Uh, one was the Sunni Wakfur had to alter its case now and say that, you know what, actually, um, we are, because essentially they earlier said we want this mosque to be given back to us. Now there's no mosque, right? So they had to ask for a declaration that this idea becomes a public mosque, which now again starts to complicate a lot of the arguments which come in because a com- public mosque is basically where even if you don't have a structure, people are there to offer prayers and so it's 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 recognized as that. But it's, it, it creates a little bit of a complication. Uh, the other things which come in now are that now the land is open, it, it can be now inspected by other people as well. And again, this comes into play later. Uh, the other big development which happens is that the VHP sets up a trust called the Ram Janmabhumi Nyas which buys up all the land around the disputed site so the disputed site is for a lease of rupee one for crazy crazy ridiculous things is happening there right your disputed site is 2.77 acres within that in fact also there's a, there's at the end of the day the, three, the 0.313 acres which is the dome and the main structure of the mosque that's sort of uh, also at play and now you have around it 67 acres has just been bought up which now practically this creates a problem right because nothing about it. even let's say the Muslims were to win the case uh, this around you, it you're never going to have access to your thing and they also build a platform around it they actually concretize they start the building things all around it which is why then the government actually has to swoop in in 93 and it has to acquire the land then this gets challenged in the Supreme Court and it gets upheld but this whole Supreme Court challenge again comes into play later because it becomes a way where uh, there a bunch of these very weird observations about mosques are made. So even though technically the Acquisition Act is upheld, the court makes these comments about what is a mosque and what isn't a mosque. Again, stuff which comes into play in the 2010 judgment, uh, which is problematic, and stuff which then comes up in the Supreme Court in 2018 and 2019. Uh, but yeah, so just to, I just want to sort of signpost that these things make a difference to the way the case has to be treated because you've now got... All all this other stuff going on in the Supreme Court as well. But finally, 1993, the actual nitty-gritties of the title dispute case start in the Allahabad High Court. And uh, then one-man commission uh, constituted by the parliament to hold those who were culpable. But the commission was only supposed to submit the report in three <laughs> months' time, but that never happened. It took, uh, I think, 17 years yeah, I mean, well, it's, it's interesting. The Liban Commission and the Allahabad High Court basically went on the same timeline, finally. Right. Even though they both should have actually, like, if you look at the way the Supreme Court has heard the matter, it's been wrapped up in two months, you know. So it can be done. Uh, whereas they, the Allahabad High Court didn't do it. The Liban Commission didn't do it. And that's, of course, a huge kettle. It's a separate kettle of fish on how that's messed up uh, so many other things, uh, I think, about India going forward. But what we're looking at when it comes to the Allahabad High Court in this time is that it goes to bursts of hearing the arguments. The first is 1993 to 2002. And again, that's like nine years, which is a bit weird that it took so long, but you know they're going through all these competing claims. And of course, now the big complication is the Ram Mandir uh, debate has really come into the fore because the uh, Ramlala and Janmabhumi are saying, you know, there's a temple, there was a temple, this mosque was built on top of it, therefore it's an invalid mosque. Look at all these other things which are there in the mosque which show it was never, you know, it's not Islamic. 
um and so as a result finally the uh, the the court asked for the archaeological survey of india to conduct an excavation and now this becomes possible because you've had a demolition of the of the mosque and they go and look in and they spend uh, some time going into the whole thing and they eventually come up with the, the body of the report is quite inconclusive it just says you know there seems to be some sort of structure there it's, there's some signs which indicate it may pre- it, it, it's predates it's an ancient structure so it predates the the original mosque um but it it, it doesn't really draw any conclusions there but in the in the end summary like it kind of report it seems to indicate you know what we think there was a ram temple there so <clears throat> it, it it becomes very controversial the csi report and then it gets argued a lot in the case going forward in the second phase in the alabad high court which is from 2003 to 2010 uh at that point uh sort of the arguments that we briefly signed posted for you uh the sunni waqfot says we've had legal title over this it's already been decided by court you know what give it to us they have a backup argument which is that you know if you're saying that you know maybe there was this ram temple and all of that why don't you actually look back and see there's this whole um th- there is if you're claiming like the nimoya card is claiming adverse possession fine let's say we did actually there was a whole invasion they destroyed a temple or whatever that was like in 1500 something you know since then it's 300 plus years there's been a mosque there that we've had possession we've prayed over it it's been recognized as part of our land you know you don't get to make an argument now to say that we don't own it we do own it so it's own that but that's a sort of backup argument the ninmoya khara is back with its thing of saying you know what ram ram temple is there ram temple is there we had this but now interestingly they kind of talking more about the fact that you know we are the guys who've been performing the worship here since the 1400s we are the mahants we are the shabets as it's called shabetship is a technical term here so we have to be given our right to worship and for that to be and that needs to be effectively given to us and hence their claim uh and they're like look we've been on past of this land you know for for a while now so just give us the the possession and then the third is ramlalla who as we said is saying since antiquity this belongs to us look now asi report is also there other doc other random things are also there and so therefore give us the land so that's where that's the arguments before the alabad high court and uh, after almost a decade the alabad high court actually delivered the verdict in 2010 but despite taking so long the the verdict actually made no party happy uh the three judge bench justice s u khan uh, justice sudhir agarwal and justice d v sharma divided the disputed land in three parts between all the three litigants but what was it that was exactly disappointing for all the three parties was it the one third one third one third ownership or was it uh, the joint ownership well i mean uh the thing which it does is that it gives the i mean if you just see one third it seems you know maybe that's not so unfair right but what it does actually it says is that the area which is basically the central dome of what used to be the masjid they're like you know what that part because now the idols are there that is actually the exact spot of ram's birth and so therefore that has to go to ram lalla and to ram janmabhoomi when exactly does this movement happen from uh, the chat Chabutra. So the Chabutra. Well, that's the interesting thing. It seems to have happened uh, from 1885 to basically the 80s, in the 1980s. Because even in its original things, the Dinmohi Khara is not really claiming that the area under the mosque was the original site. Though now, of course, they 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 start use they start bringing this into the narrative because the idols now appear inside the mosque. So that that's when it starts to change. But it formally really is part of the proceedings now in the 80s. in the 89 uh, submissions and then t- taken up in the alabad high court but that's really fascinating right because we this whole debate over where the exact spot is and originally the hindus never even claimed it was anywhere else but did the court sort of take it for granted that 
it was a fact that the god actually appeared inside the mosque when we do know that uh, but well, that's the point i mean the thing is the court goes says you know what the, the court doesn't rely on the fact that the idols appeared there but they're like you know what this is the uh, spot according to legends it's according to you know what we've seen in these old records like the british used to do these surveys where they would look at and they would take what people locals used to say about what was happening in a particular place and they had some references to all of this and they they brought up all these old records and these old stories told about the place and they're like see all of these things point to it and the main thing and this is where it really gets tricky is that they say hindus have belief they have faith that this is where ram was born and therefore we have to accept that personhood and that's the clincher here now because there because this means it's not just about the idols now it's also that whole janmabhoomi argument has been accepted it is sacred land it is there because people believe in it and that's a very very tricky thing to go so i mean the 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 ramlalla people are not happy the vhp basically are not happy because they wanted the whole site and they're only getting a part of it even though politically charged this is a very useful thing but it's still only a part of it the nirmoya kara aren't ha- happy because they're getting like the sita rasoi and the ram chabutra but you know things have moved on now and you want to now have access to what is recognized as the birth spot and now you don't have that anymore so they're not happy uh, the waqf board are like you've just given us parts of what used to be our own land what you know what is this what's what's going on so everyone files an appeal against this in 2011 the supreme court actually stays the alabad high court judgment and very importantly notes at the time you know, this is a very strange judgment because the thing is you can partition land like this between different parties but that's only when one of those parties requests it when no party has requested it the court doesn't really have that power to do it now here the court kind of tried to go into this thing about how it's a bigger dispute and there's more going on here it's not just a simple title dispute or not and they've i think tried to use that as the justification for doing this partition but legally speaking a lot of experts would tell you that there is no grounds for being able to do that and that's sort of the context which now we have to look at what's being argued in the 2019 supreme court case as well yeah so can we just get down to what happened in the supreme court with all the mediation committee and uh the rumor about the wakf board actually withdrawing and so okay so we'll let's try and do this, this this quickly because it gets very complicated otherwise so uh all of this comes back into the supreme court 2017 then uh, cji deepak mishra tries to get the whole case going but it doesn't quite catch on uh, he's faced with the challenge now saying you know what only three judges are hearing this but it should be five judges hearing it because there's a whole big question of law involved which comes and this is where again the old cases come into play because in 1993 1994 there was a supreme court judgment as we told you which upheld the acquisition of all the land but it also made these weird observations about uh, what is a mosque what isn't a mosque so these guys wanted to challenge that so they asked for a larger bench this just dragged the case on there's a whole thing of how even translations were provided this from 2017 we reached 2018 finally they say you know what a five judge bench doesn't a large bench doesn't need to sit and hear it but actually then finally this the new cji ranjan gogo actually sets up a five judge bench to hear it and uh he and so we think okay you know what now january february is going to start and then in march suddenly the uh, justice bobde kind of says you know what why who's one of the judges hmm. he's like you know why don't we consider mediation here so now a new mediation panel gets set up which is uh headed by a retired supreme court judge justice kalifulla um shri shri ravi shankar and a well respected uh, mediator lawyer guy called shiram panchu and this is supposed to be the initial thing but by august everything's kind of broken down so the judges are like you know what let's just get back to the litigation that's when they start this up now in the meanwhile the mediation proceedings do eventually go on in parallel and create more unnecessary controversy for us but the main arguments has come to so it's still on the lines of what we to- talked about earlier uh wakford saying we have title uh we have a judgment in our favor 
Worst case, we have adverse possession. They also start bringing up a lot of ways to try and counter the narrative of a Ram Mandir being there and a mosque being built on top of it. They, there's a 19, there's a report from 1991 by the historians' report to the nation, which was a bunch of uh, historical experts had all gone and looked at all the sources and everything. And their conclusion was actually that there was no Ram Mandir. This whole concept of a Ram Mandir was a myth. So they tried to rely on that. Uh, and they tried to punch holes in the ASI report which said that there was a structure and everything. So that's the arguments from them. The Nirmohekar actually had a really bad time in the arguments. They kept, like, they were actually, twice they were told to, you know what, why don't you take some more time and then come back to your arguments because you don't seem to be too well prepared. So and I believe, like, somebody also came up with a whole map of the exact birthplace well, of Ram. Well, so that's, so that, that's because... Uh, as as I'll just come to it, like the Hindu parties tried to bring all sorts of things to try and claim that, you know, this was the place where Amazon. So it wasn't just now the ASI report. It was all these random books by RSS guys, by ideologues of various, not particularly the most credible academic reputation, let's just say. But a lot of, there was a lot, there was like this overload of things which just kept on being dumped that, you know what, he has another book and he has another map and he has another thing, which is why we had that famous map tearing incident on the final day because mm-hmm. the lawyer for the Sunni Wakfur, Rajiv Dhamma, was just like, you've already had time to submit things. You've not submitted this in the official time when you were supposed to. What is this nonsense map you're kind of like handing to me? So obviously you had that whole very famous incident. But in the meanwhile, the Nirmuya Khara kind of, their thing was now really tricky. They were just having to kind of establish that, look, we are the guys who have been performing worship. So we want those rights. So they were they were less focusing on their ownership claim, even though they had a pretty strong legally claim using the whole adverse possession thing. But their whole thing now was just, you know, recognize this debates because, the, and this is where there's a conflict between them and the Ram and Ram Lalla because they were also saying there was a Ram temple there. They have also been saying people are worshiping. So if that is the case, then you and if you press that, then you're actually making the argument for Ram Lalla and Ram Janmabhumi, yeah. and that's where Ram Janmabhumi and Ram Lalla, the deities, come into play. And they've got like a star cast of lawyers here. Like they have. Uh, a guy called uh, K. Parasaran who's called the, who they was called in court the Bhishma Pitama of the Indian legal profession C.S. Vedyanathan another very uh, respected senior advocate Sham Devan who you may have heard of from the privacy and the Aadhaar cases so all of them are arguing and they take what we consider to be fairly weird arguments and they make them actually legally credible <laughs> somehow and they are bringing up this whole thing of saying look there is a strong sense of belief it's backed up by a lum- number of records Therefore, there has to be some investment of personality in the gods and the deity and the land. And therefore, this means they have to be given uh, the land as a whole. And their thing is, look, especially because the Ram Janmabhumi is involved, you can't now p- divide this territory into different different spots. <clears throat> so, uh, so, the arguments go on for 40, 40 days. 40 days. And like the CGI, in fact, normally hearings don't take the whole day. Like here, they would take the whole day. So... I mean, in terms of ours, maybe even longer than the Keshav Nanda Bharti case, but like a lot of time spent on this. So 40 days of hearings, lots of drama on the final day, including this whole weird stuff uh, about withdrawal. Mm. Like there was a rumor that, oh, the Wakf is going to withdraw its suit on the last day. They were not going to do that. Then there was, oh, they're actually agreeing to a settlement offer because then the, suddenly the mediation committee is trying to, it seems, get itself back into the fray. But it turned out, I mean, it, there was a lot of controversy over this. Essentially, they didn't want to withdraw their suit. There was a position that they may be willing to compromise because there's a lot of other mosques and sites which are which could potentially come under the hammer in the same way the Babri Masjid did 
if this judgment goes a particular way. So they were kind of trying to give that, maybe try to say, look, you know, we let you build your Ram Mandir here, but like, you know, at least guarantee us protection of those other mosques. But it wasn't clear whether the Waqf board and the Muslim parties, there are a bunch of other residents who were involved in this, whether they were actually on board. And eventually many of them came out and said, no, we're not on board with this settlement proposal. It turned out like the, just the chairman of the Waqf board was trying to like save his skin from uh, like some cases which were filed against him. Some was, that, that, that was the rumor. And then by the end, the whole thing just fizzled out because you know, the court is still hearing the matter. The main Hindu parties didn't get involved with any of this stuff about a um, settlement, particularly the Ram Janmabhoomi guys, because, you know. Right. So given the kind of history that this dispute has, it's not going to be an easy verdict, obviously. But will it close a chapter and open a new one for Indian society? With that, we've come to the end of this podcast. If you like listening to it, then please subscribe to our playlist on Apple Google Podcast, GeoSavan, Spotify and all the other popular podcast streaming platforms that we are live on right now. For other podcasts, log on to the Quinn website and check out the podcast section. For any feedback, shoot an email to podcast at theretaquinn.com. Thanks for listening. Log on to the Quince website and check out our other podcasts. 